Can you hear me? Welcome, everybody. This is our 31st, 35th episode, and tonight we've got some special guests. We've got Victor and Richard from the South Texas Astronomical Society, um, and uh, guys, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yes. Yeah, thank you for the invite. It's an honor to have you guys. I know that we have been trying for a couple of weeks to get you guys scheduled. And I know that we had a few technical problems the first time around, so I apologize for that. But uh, as always, we've got like four or five shows always scheduled ahead. So I was trying to squeeze you guys a little earlier, but I know that between my scheduling issue and then you guys had other commitments, it was hard, but we're we're back and we're on, and I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, everybody, as you know, um, you know we've got a telescope that was launched a few years ago. It's the James Webb Telescope. We'll be looking at some of the latest images that have come out of that uh, uh, telescope that uh, is in space. Uh, we'll also talk about the observatory that is actually at the Resaca de la Palma State Park over in Olmito. Uh, most of you may not know that we actually have an observatory. But we've got the experts in the house here. So uh, uh, either one of you guys, if you guys could give us a little bit of a, um, of a background with regards to uh, 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 stars and what you guys do there. 
Sure, I could take that. So uh, STARS, we are the South Texas Astronomical Society, STARS for short. Uh, our, we are a nonprofit organization based in Brownsville, Texas. Our mission is to ignite curiosity through space science, education, and outreach. Um, and that is, we, we, we really, we like astronomy because, um, you know, astronomy is accessible and exciting for everybody. It's not just for a certain uh, group of people. It's all ages, um, all, everybody can, can get into astronomy. There's something for everybody to get excited about. Uh, so... Our our two main focuses our are basically one of them is is K through twelve uh, STEM education. So we 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 have different outreach programs where we try to provide hands on activities for for K through twelve students uh, to get interested and to to learn about astronomy and and space science. And and another aspect is is that we try to serve as a as a platform for people in the community who are interested in astronomy and space science to take that a step further and to really get in touch with um, professionals and, and astronomers uh, like Richard here and uh, a lot of other really interesting people that we have in our community. And also um, with the resources that we have here, like the observatory you mentioned and um, and uh, all the different resources that are, that are coming out. Now, I saw a few weeks ago i think it was an article or maybe you're posting uh you guys had a local space camp camp can you elaborate on what that was all about sure so we received uh we have uh we received our first grant ever um for this year it was uh through nasa and it was it was mainly focused on the k-12 stem engagement so Part of it was, so our, our project is called Generation Artemis, and our goals is, is to highlight the, the Artemis program, um, mainly because part of it is actually tied to uh, SpaceX and the, the developments happening here at, uh, in, at Boca Chica Beach in, near Brownsville. And so we wanted to, to help better connect the community with, with what's going on here and also, you know, the bigger picture of, of how starship is going to be used for the artemis program so we held a series of um of space camps for kids to uh to go out and do different hands-on activities based on the different components of the artemis program one of them being the the lunar lander and is that a space camp that's going to continue just for the summer throughout the year do y'all plan to you know keep it going we we are having another event in the fall um, with a with a similar theme. It, it won't be exactly the same, but it is a lot of the same activities are going to be there, and we're going to have a little bit more that it's not announced yet, but it will be in October. All right. And with regards to uh, astronomy or interest in astronomy, as you mentioned, SpaceX uh, obviously has been pretty active in the area. Have you seen an interest in um kids wanting to uh, look at extra astronomy maybe go into an, an ast astronomy field lately um i mean i know that back you know when i was a little younger you know i was always known as a geek you know so i watched a lot of star trek and star wars <laughs> and of course you know for me that was a natural thing you know i i kind of gravitated to reading as much as I could about it, but have you seen an ink? But I, the point that I was making is that 
you know, there was not a whole lot of kids like me, I guess, in a way that were nerdy enough to want to uh, read up as much about space. I mean, unfortunately, my biggest regret is that I was born after 1969, so I never got to see the the moon landing, and probably you guys didn't either, you know, so... I, I've always wondered, you know, uh, what it was like back then to sit behind a, you know, a TV, a, an old CRT, you know, and watch that black and white picture as, you know, Neil Armstrong sets his foot on the moon. You know, I, I can only imagine, you know, the closest I've ever seen, you know, what it could have been like was, you know, during the Apollo 13 movie, you know, where they're all in the living room and so forth and watching that but I missed it along with probably you guys did so to me I guess that's my biggest regret if we could time travel backwards you know uh, that would be I guess one one uh, one uh, year that I'd like to go back in for that and of course Woodstock <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so anyway well, that's good to know. I mean, so so back to my question: Has there been a an increase in in interest among young kids? I mean, I see a lot of them going to these uh, maker movements and robotics and things like that, and that was stuff that you know wasn't available before. You know. Yeah, you know, I only recently kind of started getting into um, everything. I was not. The, the nerdy kid I wish I was but I wasn't so maybe I know Richard <laughs> has been in the Richard involved the in the kid. Richard was no no Richard has, has been keeping up with things I think a little bit better than I have so maybe he could answer that question a little bit yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat I was uh first telescope at six years old and grew up on Star Wars and like I see it it's there with kids uh especially when they come to the observatory or stargazing events and they're able to just not even look through the telescope, just see it and see something bigger than themselves. And I think that the sparks are there. You just have to fan the flames and it's yeah. there. Like you were saying we weren't, I mean, we were born in the nineties, right? And we had the shuttle. Uh, we were born after um, after the Apollo era, but like, you know, we at least had a lot of exposure to information. Like it's all there. You just really have to bring it to to people and say no it's still relevant like hey we could go to the moon in three four years still and you, you you'll be there to see it we'll all be there to see it so i think if you just create the forum kind of that's what stars is to bridge that gap between you know the astronomers and the rocket scientists and and the people you know it'll happen well, I tell you what, you know, I went uh, over to Astronomy in the Park. I think it was last month or the month before last. I can't remember. But actually, uh, a month ago, exactly today. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe it was a month ago, and I was very impressed, I guess, with the amount of people that showed up. In fact, I didn't get to go to into the observatory, um, you know, but I got to sit in the presentation that Dr. Diaz, is it Diaz? Yes. Yes. Dr. Yeah, Mario Diaz. Diaz. Yes, mm -hmm. he gave and so forth. So that was pretty cool. And I got to see, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of young kids there, you know, obviously some asking questions about aliens. I won't, I won't forget that one. 
but it was it was really cool uh you know and i uh didn't even realize that i knew one of the founders of stars carol uh lutzinger um i had actually mm -hmm. gone to church with her for many years and didn't realize that she uh she was into astronomy taught astronomy so uh that was uh you know quite a uh revealing thing to me because i i talked to this woman for years <laughs> But, and, you know, and so it was kind of like, oh, wow, that's kind of cool, you know, so. But uh, anyway, so uh, what is, is there a university uh, degree program locally here at UTRGV or at Edinburgh with regards to astronomy? I know that, Richard, you're working on your doctorate, but is there a, a undergraduate program at this time? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. There's also so there's um there's Texas Southmost College in UTRGV and Brownsville, which are basically in the same location. Uh, and then there's the Edinburgh campus. There's also like a uh, like a, a medical school that they've they've started and they had their first class or first couple of classes. I'm not exactly sure what that, but um, with regard to physics and astronomy, there's you know the Department of Physics and Astronomy, and there's a whole undergraduate curriculum. Um, if you want to do either physics, more astrophysics based or engineering mathematics, and there's a master's program, which I came down for back in 2016. And then they just started the PhD program this, uh, this past January. And I'm, I'm in the first class essentially that's doing the PhD in, in mm -hmm. physics with there's me and, and, and seven, uh, six others. Oh, so, wow. uh, and then there's going to be another uh, group coming in in the fall for the PhD program, but basically there's a whole undergraduate program that's very extensive and and yeah, you can get your bachelor's, your master's, and now your PhD here. Wow, that's kind of neat. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, unfortunately back when I started college, you know, I had to go out of town to pursue. What about the space music? Oh, <laughs> they're talking about the black hole, uh, the sound. There was a uh, there was a uh, posting earlier, and I guess we could talk about that a little bit, uh, where NASA posted um, a video or an audio file of noise coming out of uh, a black hole. Was that real or was that somebody's joke? I mean, it sounded kind of scary. Did you guys see that or hear about that? I saw the the video. I don't. I didn't listen to it, but I saw that they they took a, a sound frequency out of a black hole. Now that means something different to us that Richard may be able to explain. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't. I don't know how deep you want to go into it. I mean, I'm Victor and I are of the mentality of let's just jump right into the black hole from the beginning and you know talk about that. But um, uh, I, yeah, I haven't seen it, but I've seen stuff like that where they're like, oh, it's the sounds of Jupiter and, you know, some of that is real and the sounds of the sun, uh, basically anything that's radio waves, you can convert to audible frequency and then uh -huh. gravitational waves. You can not only convert to audible frequency, if you were near enough, uh, to a black hole that was merging with another one, if you were at the, if they were the right masses and spinning around each other, you, your ears would actually vibrate because space time is, is wiggling. And so your eardrums would actually vibrate and you would hear a sound even in the vacuum of space. Wow. Uh, 
so that you can you can kind of make sound from a lot of things but you got to do some fancy conversion to do it yeah well that was kind of i heard the audio file and it was kind of scary it was something like out of a horror movie i was like wow that's pretty cool you know that we can get those kind of sounds but let's talk a little bit about telescopes in general and like i mentioned to you guys offline i'm one of those is that is a little confused when it comes to telescopes and how they function and i'm not talking about the celestron ones that uh you know you can purchase i'm talking about these radio telescopes like there was at Arecibo. i think there's another one that was just built or completed in china that was comparable or maybe even larger than to what was in puerto rico but how do radio radio telescopes actually work versus something like the James Webb that has mirrors. Um, can you guys give us a little bit of a insight into how that works? Because I've always been, uh, you know, kind of confused by that. I mean, I did see that Jodie Foster movie a few years back. I think it was Contact or something like that. And they were, I think they were using radio telescopes. But basically, let me, before you do that, let's flip over to our theater screen. Um, typically our theater screen is a virtual theater screen. It has seats and popcorn and all kinds of stuff. But for this presentation, I had to strip everything out, including the popcorn to get the screens to fit. So there won't be any popcorn tonight, but here we go. All right. So let me head over to, I believe this is like a radio telescope, right? Or something like that yeah yeah it's a that's definitely a radio telescope and then of course you have the james webb you know yep so what's Which the is, difference yeah. what's the difference between the radio telescope versus the web telescope or the hubble telescope well i want victor do you want to do you want to answer it first do you want to go first before I you could probably answer it way better than I can. Yeah, but maybe you should <laughs> you should give it a try. Let's see if I'll, I'll introduce it and then okay. you'll okay. Okay. expand on it. <laughs> so basically, you're you're getting different uh, frequencies. So they're both so radio and and so when you talk about James Webb and other mirror-based telescopes, you're you're getting the optical spectrum. Um, so the electromagnetic spectrum is uh, is the it's all the spectrum of of light and that ranges from radio waves to gamma rays and and so as you go down the scale from radio to you know um uh microwave uh infrared then you get the optical spectrum which is the small piece of the spectrum that our eyes can process and and optical uh, telescopes like hubble can can process james webb is actually um infrared so a little bit uh a little bit longer wavelengths than than the visible and then you know you get shorter wavelengths as you move up to uh ultraviolet and uh x-ray and and get to gamma ray and so basically radio telescopes are observing a longer frequency a longer wavelength than other telescopes like the james webb and, and hubble yeah like and actually the ones that you're looking at there they're they're a modern version but you know i have a 2002 jeep that still has a cassette player in it and it has a dipole yeah. antenna like the old antennas on cars right. and 
that right there is picking up radio waves from the air and you're tuning it. So what about that one versus the dishes? That's a good, that's a question too. Like they're both, technically you have a radio telescope on your car. It's just not as, you know, good as these, these dishes here. Uh, but so like, you've got to look at it kind of from two perspectives. One, what Victor said, which is exactly, it's, that's exactly it. They're just looking at different windows of the same thing, okay. right? Like you're looking at light, but different processes in the universe produce different types of light and some light is low energy and some is high energy, but, uh, certain telescopes can pick up the low energy ones like radio waves and some can pick up the high energy like the fermi satellite in space is a gamma ray telescope that's a whole different class right like james webb is an infrared telescope that's different than the one at Risaca de la palma state park which is you know an optical telescope so they all collect light but they look at different windows of it so um, when yeah. you mean a radio telescope collects light does it collect yeah. light or radio waves that get somehow converted into some image i mean i can understand exactly. an optical because there's yeah. a mirror but exactly I'm, I'm, exactly I'm still trying to understand can... uh the radio telescope yeah it, it, you have to convert everything to an image ultimately even uh -huh. even something as crazy and exotic as gravitational waves you ultimately have to convert it to some image so it's going to be all the images of radio telescopes you see and a lot of the fancy space calendars that have like bright blues and purples like those kind of fantastic colors that's usually a false color representation of some high energy process like that would produce radio waves so um they are collecting light like all all telescopes are collecting light but the sensor is going to be a lot different right on an optical telescope you can look at that like a camera you just put a camera on the back and it absorbs it photons hit the camera and turn into electrical signal. And we can measure that with a computer. Um, photons also hit those radio telescopes, but those photons are longer. They're not little ones like, uh, let's say like light, cause light is in a very small, uh, has a very like small wavelength. Uh -huh. Radio waves can be longer than a house. So you need something that sees that differently. And that's designed to basically do the same thing just at a different scale um but you'd be converting that into ones and zeros just like for, i would be doing at the telescope here okay now the the question is so basically what you're saying is that the radio telescope is for long range is that what i'm getting versus the optical telescope no not not about range so like i think let's look at like the look at the um the dish itself it, it it's it's very much like a optical telescope if i have a mirror and i have a big mirror like mm -hmm. i make it bigger that's going to allow me to magnify things basically make something that's small much bigger and so I've, i'm able i have more power to do that essentially um and the dish on there is the same thing if i make that dish bigger then i have more collecting power um so that explains now, why Arecibo was so huge. Yeah, right? so I used to I used to use Arecibo. I, I observed pulsars with Arecibo mm -hmm. many years ago, and that thing is like those that you're seeing right here. But you can't turn the dish. You can only turn the top, that like middle receiver part. Right. Um, 
kind of like how you have a a primary mirror and then a secondary mirror on a telescope like light comes in hits the mirror hits the secondary and then is collected it's the same thing light comes into that cone it all gets reflected into that receiver and then the receiver that those receivers at the tip all have coax cables just like on your tape like old cable boxes and that's literally how it's done on on wow on those yeah wow and with regards to the James Webb telescope, where in space and how far in space is it located versus Hubble? Um, do you guys know the distance? Where exactly it's parked? I don't even know yeah, if parked Victor, is the right do you know? Word. Do you know the answer? I know that Hubble is, is in Earth orbit, right? So Hubble is, is a lot closer to us. James Webb, um, they went to, went to a special place called the Lagrange Point, which um, it's it's a little past the moon. It's that's about as far as my knowledge goes. You could pick okay. it up from there. <laughs> I mean, there's like if you have two, if you have the Sun and the Earth, or you have any two bodies, but one is orbiting the other. You're going to have five locations in that area where if you put something there it's going to stay there uh -huh. those are called those are called lagrange points um it's where the gravity balances perfectly between the two uh okay. so we put james webb at one of those which means it's a lot farther it's several moon distances away so uh whereas the hubble is like right on our doorstep essentially it's it's it was put there hubble was put there because all we had was the shuttle at the time right so we couldn't we couldn't send it i mean we we could send it far but then we couldn't service it far away okay. so you know james webb breaks it's going to be hard to get there to, to fix it now um with regards to the actual telescopes you know hubble versus james webb i know there's like two others i think you guys have mentioned but what was the big and I'm I don't I don't mean this in a in a negative way, but what was the big deal between Hubble versus James Webb? What are we talking about in differences with regards to well, not just the technology, obviously, right? But image-wise, I mean, I mean it. We've made it a you know, as somebody once said, BFD with J with the James Webb. So what? <laughs> what are the differences and then moving forward you know what are what can we expect in future space-based telescopes that will kind of leave james webb behind i don't know if james webb will ever get left behind <laughs> yeah, uh, J james webb pushed it as the as the as the old astronauts in the mercury days would say they were uh, pushing the pushing the envelope you know yeah. james webb pushed the envelope so far that you, i mean in, in terms of what it, it can do there's other telescopes that will be better at other things but james webb is meant to be essentially a frontier scope it's supposed to look at the farthest frontiers in every astronomical field that there is right now um you know hubble hubble was like a normal uh mirror it's like a mirror they like launched an actual telescope into space with some filters and a camera yeah not to downplay hubble right uh james webb is that but it's an infrared gold anodized mirror which means it can see through all the dust in the milky way and so 
it's not it, it basically can peer way farther into the past than hubble uh just because it can ignore a lot of the extinction that it would get you know yeah so that's what that's just yeah. one thing like it also has a really cool spectrometer on it that can see all the different elements of something very precisely so you point to a star or you point to a planet going around that star so think about how hard that is and it can tell you what stuff is in the planet's atmosphere so t talk to me a bit a little bit about th about that because you know i've read articles with regards to exoplanets and you know i believe that you know there's been hundreds of exoplanets that have been found and how... 5000 now 5000 wow so how do we come up with those observations if you don't mind me asking i mean that's no i know there's something about wobble and light and yeah. stuff could so you kind of explain how now i know in the end we get artist renditions of what it could look like or may yeah. look like but kind of explain that because that's a little you know vague to me as to how we can make those determinations of those exoplanets yeah sure i mean there's so historically, there's there's two major ways we find them. The older and the older way that finds so there's there's the Doppler method, which is the wobble method. That's what you talked about. Right. And then there's the transit method. Um, there's other methods, but they're a little bit more exotic, and they they have caused the the minimal of discoveries in exoplanets. The main ones are the wobble method. So. Um, do you know the Doppler effect? Are you familiar with the Doppler effect? A little bit. I'm not. I'm not in tune with the technology, but uh, yeah, well, just just explain it a little bit. Yeah. Well, when a when a ambulance uh, or something with a siren comes toward you, it like goes up in frequency. It's like, right. and then when it leaves, it goes. So what you're listening to is the frequency is changing, and let's say when it's coming toward you, the frequency is going up. So right. it's going from an A note to a B note or something. Right. Um, in terms of light, if something's emitting light and it's coming toward you, the frequency of light is going to go up, just like the sound is going. The sound frequency is going to go up. But what that means, instead of you're hearing a pitch increase, you're seeing a color change. So the Doppler method or the wobble method is you're seeing the star wobble back and forth because the planet is pulling on it slightly from gravity and as it wobbles back and forth you see that shift in motion and you can measure that shift and use kepler's laws to figure out the mass of the planet now the problem is it's complicated because you need both methods uh, for the same planet to find out if it's habitable why because the wobble method only tells you the mass and the transit method, basically watching the star and watching the planet pass in front of the star. And what that causes is the star to dim a little bit. And the dimness is corresponding to the size of the planet, the radius. So if you can get a wobble and find a mass, and if you can get a transit and find a radius, mass over radius cubed is essentially density. And you can figure out, is it Earth-like? Is it gaseous how far away is it because i know it's wobbling so how far away is it from the sun is if it's dense enough for water 
and it's that far away, I could figure out already if there's liquid water on it or not. Like just from those two simple measurements, you can rule out and figure out a lot about that planetary system. Okay, yeah, so that's one of the exoplanets I read up about quite a bit is in the Kepler system. I think it's B or C, I don't know which one. They claim that it may be habitable. So I was just curious to do, to kind of get a little bit of a technical, a little bit of a technical explanation as to how those determinations are made, uh, you know, short of obviously sending a, uh, you know, some kind of probe or something like that. Can I tell you something really cool? You probably, I don't know if you knew this, but the first exoplanet ever discovered was using a radio telescope observing a pulsar. Wow. And they found that the pulsar, because a pulsar is really spinning fast. So it's like a stable clock. It like, it, you know, when it's going to tick next, that's how precise it is. And the thing was, there was a different pattern associated with that as if there was a planet tugging on it and slowing it down like the moon is kind of anchoring earth in the yeah. same way and so the first exoplanet in the 90s was the early mid 90s it was actually discovered with a radio telescope that's very unusual and that's not the norm uh, even to this day <laughs> you know so so yeah. let's talk a little bit i think victor got uh, uh a question on a post i have no idea where you know i'm I'm lurking on the internet all day long. I want to shoot. I shouldn't say that. Uh, but uh, basically, um, there was a question with regards to a recent discovery where, once again, a black hole was seen or determined to be spitting out planets versus, or planets or objects, for a better term uh versus sucking them in could you and of course the question that came out of that you know in some circles uh you know some uh anti-big bang circles that oh see the big bang it what didn't happen or whatever it was can you guys do you guys any have any background information as to that posting i know victor you got asked that question in a post earlier in the week and oh yeah uh you guys give us any i mean it was i think it was the first time we'd seen something like that but can you guys give us any kind of insight yeah that? so that one specifically that was uh that was jack uh hi jack if you're watching uh jack's awesome oh but yeah yeah he, uh, I know he said there, there was a yeah uh there was a there was a basically an article that said that uh the recent james webb images have uh astronomers and cosmologists questioning the the authenticity of the the big bang theory um i i hadn't seen that before so i read that and apparently it's it's because the the um theories of you know what the oldest galaxies would look like were it, it was a little bit different i saw later on on uh i actually one of my favorite uh, cosmologists her her name's katie mack and she uh, she i saw basically an explanation from her saying like no it's not true people are starting to use this as clickbait um, basically, they're just the the there are um, they're finding interesting things in the in the the galaxy images and in the way. So there's different uh, theories coming out about how galaxies first formed soon after the Big Bang. But no, all the theories and and the you know the assumptions of the Big Bang are still holding true. 
It's just, you know, that's something that so definitely what was, makes people... was it know, throwing click. it in or throwing it out? I've always thought black holes suck stuff in, not necessarily threw things out. That one I had not heard. I don't know if Richard has. I haven't heard um, I, the, the one about black holes throwing things out. Well, there, there's a there's a couple of things. One thing I wanted to ask, maybe if we're able to talk about this, is the I'm I'm curious about the alternative Big Bang stuff that you were talking about, like what people are saying. Because I want to hear. No, I'm I'm actually really curious. But um, one thing that's interesting is if we look back and we see galaxies forming differently than we expected, uh, it's most likely because of interactions with dark matter. Because we don't know what dark matter is, uh -huh. but we know that if whatever it is, it might interact with normal matter in a way we don't understand. And that could cause the early, like in the early universe, it plays a role we don't understand. And so if we see a difference from what our theory predicts, it means that that shows what dark matter might be doing at the early point of the universe. So that's, that's just one thing I wanted to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that I wanted to look at here in our second half of the hour was some of the images um, that uh, have come out. And I think some of these were um, some of the images that you guys presented over at Astronomy in the Park. And I believe it was from a website called Web Compare, I think. Yeah, if I remember correctly. So they had a couple of images. So either either one of you guys want to take the the wheel on explaining what we're seeing here. Do you know what it is, Victor? Well, I saw the name Cartwheel Galaxy there. <laughs> um, you can take this one. <laughs> I I don't want to take all of them. I'm just you know uh, just making sure. But yeah, that's that is um. That's the result of a galaxy getting hit by another galaxy. Okay. So basically galaxies collide with each other all the time. Uh, we are on approach to Andromeda right now. In fact, we are currently interacting with each other uh, and we'll merge. Uh, so galaxies merge all the time and this is the result of a violent merger event. You're seeing the, 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 the scarring on the galaxy there. Okay. Now, where is the gal? I guess where is the galaxy that merged, or it already merged, and it's this right here. Yeah, it already merged, and it left the. I mean, gal like our galaxy. You have to think in different time scales. It's like our galaxy rotates every two hundred million years. Okay, that's a single rotation. So, like galaxies merge over many billions of years in fact they largely pass through each other and then come back and kind of do this this ballet dance until they settle uh, -huh. uh so this might not have even settled yet okay so when they merge is and you mentioned andromeda versus our galaxy which is the milky way right yeah so mm -hmm. when they merge Will everything within one or the other galaxy get annihilated? <laughs> I guess is the question. Largely, no. I mean, there's there's going to be a couple. Like, if you speed it up, a couple of uh, overall things occur. You're going to get some material that gets kicked out of that system into the intergalactic void. That's uh -huh. for sure going to happen. A majority of things are not. 
actually most stars will just pass straight through each other. So it's like largely 99.9% empty space anyway. So the galaxy looks like a solid disk. It's going to pass straight through us. And over several pass-throughs, over many iterations, we're going to slowly deform and turn into a sphere. And elliptical galaxies are older galaxies. We see them out there. They're the result of, they're older. They don't make stars anymore, not as well as us, because we're a younger spiral galaxy. Spiral galaxies over time merge and absorb other galaxies until they become these ellipses, these spheres. And the black holes at the center will find each other. And they'll either merge, most likely, or there's a very small chance that they will uh, merge at a really weird angle and fling each other at some fraction of the speed of light out of the galaxy into the dark void. So that happens, and that happens all the time. Uh, and it will continue to happen for billions of years. So, well, one of the questions that I wanted to ask uh, Dr. Diaz, and I didn't do it for one of for two reasons. One, because uh, you know I just didn't get a chance to ask because everybody else was asking questions. But when it comes to stars, and I know that our sun, what we've termed our sun, is a star. You know, there's uh, there's star systems out there. Does every star have the potential to have a planetary system around it or not that was yes okay yes for sure i mean we didn't know that 30 years ago so uh -huh. in 1992 we were just having early evidence of some planets uh we i mean we thought even before that like most likely there's planets but there's just no evidence and now it's like every star we look at that we can in the nearby realm uh, has a planet, at least one, uh, sometimes seven that are all habitable. Wow. Now, so, the, like, yeah. the mm -hmm. Alpha Centauri system, which is, I think, 3.5 light years away from us? 4.5. 4. 4.25 to be. Yeah, 4.25. That's a binary star system, correct? It's a triple. If you count, if you count Proxima, because it's 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 three, it's a it's a binary, and then there's a it's like these two in the middle are going around each other, and then there's a third one going around that in a big circle. So how do how does that work? I mean, you know, you if you recall in Star Wars, that planet, uh, what was the name Tatooine. of it, Tetuan or whatever it is, that was a that supposedly was a was in a binary system so how does that work i mean i know that we're in a single star system or we think we are even though i read an article a few days ago that somebody was saying that we originally started as a binary system and the star that was the double disappeared whatever i i mean how does that work in a binary or a triple star system well i mean what one problem is we don't really our models aren't so good at figuring out the long-term evolution of planets because we're finding that things easily perturb the planets more than we thought and like we're just lucky that jupiter is there essentially to stabilize us but like a star could nudge us and knock all the planets off their courses over time and that could last very quickly actually so um 
the, the thing is when most stars are actually binary systems, majority of them, more than half. And so um, what you're actually looking at is if the planets could orbit far enough away, gravitationally speaking, they only see one object. They see the center of mass of those stars. And so they, I mean, you can place a black hole at the center of our solar system, the same mass as our sun, and the earth would just happily keep going around it. Huh. Like all it, all earth cares about or all anything with mass cares about is what's the gravitational force. And so you have two stars in the center going around each other and then a planet farther away going around both of them. That's perfectly valid. It'll just see one star essentially. Okay. All right. Yeah, because yeah, I read that it was, uh, at least I thought I'd read that it was a binary, but you mentioned that it's a triple, a triple star. Uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a binary star with a, we don't know, I think it's a brown door for a degenerate, a degenerate star. So it's not really a star, but I'm not exactly, or it's a white dwarf. I forget which one. But, so, um, so since you've mentioned now dwarfs, so let, let's talk a little bit about that. <laughs> What are the differences? I've heard red dwarf, brown dwarf. I don't, I can't, I don't know what ours is. A red dwarf. I don't know what it is. But anyway, what are the differences the between those, and what does that mean with regards to, I guess, habibil, habibility? I don't know. But habitability. What? Yeah. yeah would. Would some have habitable planets versus others? You know, Victor, do you want to say anything? I, I don't want to. Well, I will say that where ours is, uh, I actually not as knowledgeable on the difference between the, the dwarves, but our star is actually a main sequence star. So if you look at the life cycle, the life cycle of stars, we're actually in the middle. I thought it was really funny the first time I heard that our star we have a very average star because we're not in the we're not too young not too old it's like right in the middle of its lifespan kind of um it was main sequence yeah the main sequence is that's you know it's because the sun is also a dwarf see the problem with astronomy is names are just it's terrible like the way we've we've named everything uh like literally everything you can ask like what about that yep this is there's a problem with the naming convention but you know Generally speaking, there's dwarves and giants, just like in mythology. Um, and dwarves, though, can be weird dwarves or normal dwarves. And like main sequence is like normal dwarf. It's like if you are burning hydrogen happily in the center of your of your star, then you're a main sequence star. As soon as that hydrogen runs out that star turns into something and depending on how big that star is it turns into one thing or another but generally speaking if it's a dwarf and it's burning hydrogen and then it runs out of hydrogen it turns into a red giant and then it just uh slowly fades away and we call those planetary nebula has nothing to do with planets it's a, it's a historical misnomer but basically these red giants just kind of like fade away and they leave a little relic at the center called a white dwarf Again, that's why it's confusing. But now, what the... does that mean for a planet? I guess if I guess okay, let me let me put it to you this way. So I'm sitting here on Earth. I'm enjoying my seventy and above degree weather here on the island. It's in a plant. If a planet is in a red dwarf, I guess 
are will they experience the same temperatures is it cooler is it hotter that's what i'm trying to get at you know when i hear these terms i said okay i just want to know if i kick the bucket tomorrow and i get to travel to another planet which planet do i want to go to i want one with seven degree weather seven degree weather so <laughs> if I end up on a red dwarf, I'm not going to be happy if it's colder. You know, I guess well, that's what I'm trying to it, understand, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The color color is very important in astronomy because it tells you the temperature. So like okay. something is glowing red, it's hot. If it's glowing orange or yellow or, you know, we had there's blue stars. Blue stars uh -huh. are hotter than red stars every single time. Yeah. No matter how big or small they are. So, um, so it essentially, like if you if if you are on a red dwarf, you're on the coolest of the stars, and if you're on a, a what's called an O or a B star, they're these giant blue stars. They turn into black holes when they die. They're a completely different beast than our sun. Wow. They're millions of times brighter than our sun. Like if you put a blue giant where our sun is, the the brightness alone would fry everything not even talking about all the other radiation. So these wow. are different beasts. You don't want to be around the hot stars because they don't live long. They live less than a hundred million years or something or less than a billion years. So not a lot of time for life to start. Yeah. You want a red dwarf, which lasts a trillion years, almost, or tens of billions of years. Uh, and the habitable zone changes on cooler stars. The habitable zone gets closer but it gets wider. There's a greater tolerance for where you could place a habitable planet in the cooler stars. Okay. One of our viewers just posted a comment. When you say hotter, what degrees can you compare it to? Well, our sun is 5,500 Kelvin. Okay. You could think of Kelvin as Celsius. Uh, it's There's a difference of 270 uh, units. So, when I say Kelvin, you can effectively think Celsius, but like our sun's like the surface of our sun. I'm not talking about the centers because the centers, there's nuclear stuff going on and it gets complicated. So the center or the, the surface of our sun is 5,000 Kelvin. The coolest stars are like four or 3,000, not much cooler than that. And then the hottest stars are tens of thousands of Kelvin. I would say up to 40,000 Kelvin, but there's a, a limit to how hot and how cool they can be. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, go to the next image. This is one called the Southern Ring Nebula. Which one of you guys want to Yeah, so this on? is kind of, this is uh, like the planetary uh, nebulas that Richard was uh, talking about. So the reason there's two images, actually, okay, so one of these was Hubble and one of these was uh, Webb, right? Webb actually released two images of this one, right? So Webb has uh, two different instruments. Uh, it's an infrared telescope, but it actually has one instrument that's uh, near, that's mid-infrared and one that's near-infrared. So even within the, the wavelength that's considered infrared, it's broken up into a few different sections. And, and that's, again, uh, depending on the, the length of the, uh, the wavelength. And so, so uh, what Richard had said before is that one really good advantage of infrared is that you don't 
you kind of are able to see past the clouds that you get with the optical. So Hubble Hubble took a lot of uh, amazing pictures. Um, but if you think back to some of the images that Hubble's taken, some of the, the nebulas, like that, the famous pillars of creation, um, or even this one on the left, you can see that you can see kind of the the cloud, the cloudy uh, substance that 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 um, that comes with with optical light. So on the right side, which is the the Webb's uh, image, you can see past a lot of that light. And so we can actually see um, we can see past all the clouds and and more into the interior of what's going on inside the planetary nebula. So one really cool thing that came out of of this specific uh, image of the the Southern Ring Nebula was that we were able to see the the star at, at the center of the nebula. There's and there's that little um, yellow circle is blocking it, but uh, one really cool thing is I think they, they had predicted that this uh, specific planetary nebula had not one, but it, that there was a binary star system uh, in inside the, the nebula, but we weren't able to confirm that before. After Webb, we were able to confirm and, and that image was able to show that there was, in fact, uh, two stars in the middle of that planetary nebula. Now, these brown stuff. I guess that's out here. What is this exactly? Versus the white, cloudy stuff. Well, I mean, I don't know, Victor. You you look like you're about to say something. No, I was about to hand it off over to you. Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> that is. I'm the, doing that a lot. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I, I just don't. I don't want to. But so this is like what our sun will become in five billion years. It, okay. It's the same kind of process. So this is the material of the star. It, it produced a bit heavier elements because after it runs out of hydrogen, it starts to burn helium and heavier elements to stay alive a little longer, but it doesn't really help. So all of those elements that are produced in the, in, in that, that come out of that system are ejected. I mean, still a majority in terms of mass is hydrogen and helium, but mm -hmm. you know, in that system alone, there's everything from ammonia to actual dust like grains of dust and mm -hmm. complex organic molecules like the building blocks of amino acids are all in those clouds as well like we know this for sure wow so, yeah. now what is what is what are these bright objects here over here for some of the audience that may what what are these like right here on the side so the star so the the one you're pointing at right now the one you can see the the six spikes coming out those are um those are stars that are are closer in the field so the the spikes that come out they don't actually look like that that's actually a uh diffraction effect that comes from the the telescope and it's really interesting actually it's different because of the the layout of the of webb's uh telescopes we, we get those uh six points on hubble if you look at images of Hubble, it's actually um, four points because of the uh, because of the way that that telescope is set up. Um, the points of light that and Richard, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, I think the points of light that do not have those are so all, all the the points of light that you see in on all the web images that have those spikes are stars within our galaxy. But if you see a point of light that that does not have those spikes, that's actually uh, another galaxy. Oh wow! Wow, that's yeah, kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. Usually, yeah, especially with um, 
with James Webb, it, it's so good and it's also in space. So there's no like atmospheric effects that if the star is, if it's a star, it's going to be limited by, it's called diffraction limited. It means uh -huh. that the limit to which it can see is its own, its own issue. It still can't see the star. So it, you get that effect that, that those points, um, Whereas the other stuff, yeah, galaxies won't have those points. They'll be extended objects with a distribution of light. Okay. All right. The next one is the Carina Nebula. Yeah. So, okay. So then it has the Hubble at the top. So, yeah. So the same kind of effect is happening here with the with the clouds, as, as you can see on the top, um, uh, the, the Hubble image, and I believe the Hubble image was also a lot bigger. It got more of the the, the whole nebula, but you can see that there there's uh, it's cloudy, right? And mm -hmm. so on, as opposed to the the web image, we're for for a long time we we've known that uh, nebulas. Another name for a nebula is a stellar nursery. I think that's that's really cool because we know that uh, nebulas are where stars are born. All that a nebula is is an, a cloud of interstellar dust and gas that that eventually you know comes together and accumulates to create these these young stars so it so, um a clump right yeah together yeah yes yeah yeah um and very long process but yeah and so so again we're with web we're able to actually see through all that dust so all those on the on the web image you see all the little um, blue and, and yellow dots, those are young stars. So it's really cool because we're actually able to peer into the the very early, the baby life uh, of the birth of these stars. Um, yeah, this image is actually called the, the Cosmic Clips. I think that was cool. Wow. That is kind of neat. How about this one, the Galaxy Cluster? The, the, the SMAC, what is it, SMACs, I think? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it smacks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that cluster is very interesting because there's a lot going on. So you, what you're, well, what you're looking at is essentially a group of galaxies and then stuff behind it and stuff in front of it. And so like the group of galaxies are the hazy milky on the, like if we're looking at the James Webb image on the right side, mm -hmm. that hazy milky and the, the white uh, like blobs, all of those in the center are this cluster of galaxies that we're seeing together gravitationally bound. Um, we see some stars in front of us between us and that galaxy, like that star at the bottom right or the one above it a, a bit, they have mm -hmm. those spikes that Victor was saying. So mm -hmm. we know that those are stars most likely in our galaxy, like right, right in front of our nose. And then all of the stuff that you see outside of that behind it those are just all galaxies wow so you're seeing three layers of the universe the what's in front of our nose what's in our galactic backyard and then essentially the farthest we can possibly see uh, at least in that image which is early early galaxies in the early universe wow uh, um and I guess the only one other thing I want to say is you're seeing, you see the, you see how some of the galaxies look weirdly shaped, like in the top center there. Uh, yeah. There's like, it's like, it looks like it's wrapped around that one bump. Uh -huh. um, that, that galaxy cluster we're looking at is so massive, it's bending space. And so the light that comes from behind it toward us 
is getting bent around it because it's so massive and you're seeing distorted images and that's real like einstein predicted that 100 years ago and we're just seeing that when we take pictures wow wow yeah so uh, another uh thing just to kind of highlight the 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 strength of this telescope is i believe that the time was the, the one on the the hubble image on the left I think that exposure was two weeks or 15 days or something that the basically the Hubble had its shutters open and was capturing light for 15 days and, and took all that. Um, to, and then it ended up with this image on the left, as opposed to Webb, that was a few hours of exposure that, wow. that got yes. this image. As they said, right before breakfast, they they got it or something. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. So that just to yeah show the, the strength of, of that telescope it, it's amazing and yeah again like richard said every every so all the the stars with the with the spikes the, the six spikes those are stars in our galaxy and every single other point of light on there that does not have those um those spikes is a uh, another galaxy and this one the way that they were um they so when when you look up at the sky you know the entire night sky you, you call the you call the the area of the sky that that you're actually looking at that that's called the the field of view. So the field of view that you're looking at with the with the web uh, deep field and I know it's called SMACS. I like to call it the deep field image, the web deep field image. Um, but they said basically the the field of view that you're looking at is comparable. If you were to get a grain of sand and hold it at, at arm's length and and look up at the sky, that's that's how much of the sky. Uh, you're looking at in this image with all these galaxies and so a you can basically and it's just mm -hmm, yeah a grain of sand hold it at arm's length and and that that is how much of the sky is being captured by web uh, to capture all of these galaxies it brings you to carl sagan saying there are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on the earth it's actually true because how many galaxies are in that grain of sand window Wow. And then how many stars are in a galaxy? Billions in each of those galaxies, there's billions of stars. That's wow. just a grain of sand. Like <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. And, and I know that and, and this is a Smax is a is a is a popular area of the sky, but it's not necessarily unique um in that, you know, this isn't just there. This is basically you can the the, the way that the the Hubble um the Hubble deep field was, was first it happened. They didn't know what they were going to find. They actually, they, the, 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 when they first took the deep field image for Hubble, it was, they chose a part of the sky that just seemed insignificant. And they said, let's see what happens if we open the shutters and capture light for a long period of time. And they did that and they found the first deep field image with all the galaxies. And they thought that was crazy. So they, they looked at another piece of sky and they got the same thing. So this isn't necessarily a, a unique piece of sky with all of these galaxies hiding there. This is the, the the deduction is basically that everywhere you would look, you would find something similar with this many galaxies. Wow. And the next one here <laughs> is Stevens Quintet. What's this one about? The Cosmic Dance. They chose really cool names for these, by the way. NASA, I don't know who they have. I, I They probably hire somebody just to give these images cool names, but this one was called the Cosmic Dance. You're looking at five uh, different galaxies. Uh -huh. um, some are closer together than, than others, but there's one, if you look at the ones on the, so there's, I guess, the two um, highlights 
of this image uh and i guess you, you can't really like on this one the the hubble one was used but the one on the on the left uh on the web image we're actually able to see the stars on the, on the one on the left in in really good detail and in better detail than than the hubble one um on the right you can actually you see two galaxies that are merging so when i first saw the image i was a little confused as to where the fifth one was but so, um, so was below this, that it's, one it's this one or this one there's right where you're on the bottom there's actually uh up sorry yeah right there uh, yeah. the middle sorry i guess in the middle okay. on the, the right middle there's two galaxies right there there's two bright points of light kind of looks like one galaxy oh yeah 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 um, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. There, so there's two points of light right there those are galaxies that are merging and so that uh on the a little bit further up on the right there's like a a, a red um tail that's coming out that's that's actually a, a shock wave uh caused by the merging of those two galaxies wow that's really neat That is and that, cool. That's being sent out into the space between galaxies. Yeah. So you want to talk about the coldest and darkest voids. There's winds in those voids. And that's what that's what produces those winds are galactic mergers. Primarily. I mean, not there's other things that contribute to it. Uh, but that's what you're seeing. The intergalactic winds. Now, what are some of the... I think you guys, one of you guys mentioned there was a successor to web as far as a telescope what's the next one that's going to be launched and sent up and what what can we expect from from those the i think the next one the next space telescope that's hyped up is called the nancy grace roman space telescope mm -hmm. i think that one is slated to be launched in 2027 i think is the target date um, that one is actually a little bit more comparable to Hubble. I believe it's going to capture optical frequency. Um, but the, the field of view compared to Hubble is, is more than, I forgot if it was a hundred or a thousand, but basically if, if Hubble captures like this much of the sky, Nancy Grace Roman is going to capture a whole lot more. <laughs> wow. Kind of like adding panorama, so to speak. Wow. Yeah. That is cool. So one of the things that I read somewhere in an article was that eventually the optical mirrors on the web may eventually degrade and that is because of cosmic material. Is that true? Or I mean, I know that when we launched Hubble, it had its problems with its optics originally, and then it took a shuttle mission to fix it. Yeah. But they said that naturally over time, the optics would get affected. Is that true? Yeah. Um, even, even the footprint of the Apollo astronauts will, have, will, after millions of years, disappear on the moon. And it's from the same processes you have. I mean, one of the mirrors of the James Webb was already struck by a, um, a rock. Uh, oh. And... And the James Webb is still, despite that, performing better than expected, which is kind of miraculous, but um, just shows how good it's developed. But, you know, the um, the sun will cause it to degrade over time, you know, what mm -hmm. it produces and uh, cosmic rays from everywhere. And yeah, dust and meteor strikes over time will degrade it. Yeah, slowly. Yeah. yeah. 
And of course, it's too far of a distance that we can't send anything up to fix it. You know, so. <laughs> Maybe a super advanced robot with some some sort of artificial intelligence because right. I don't think they're going to send humans over there. No, probably not. The long commute. It's a little <laughs> a long, long commute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, um, this is very interesting. Um, when is our next astronomy event scheduled? Uh, will there be another park event or what other events do you guys uh, have in store? Sure. So uh, to answer that question, uh, Rosaka de la Palma, the next astronomy at the park we have planned uh, for October. So okay. we wanted we're probably going to do this year uh, one more in October in late October in later in the month in October and uh, another one in December. Okay. And I, the the goal with the those astronomy at the park events because yeah those are really fun and we want to keep doing those. Um, that that is, the observatory is it's it's owned and run and operated by the by the UTRGV Department of Physics and Astronomy um, like Richard said but we we want to do as much as possible to open that up to the community and um, show everybody how, how cool it is and and teach everybody about the uh, yes astronomical research that's going on at the university and at the observatory um, so the, the the end goal with this and hopefully by next year we want to make astronomy at the park a, a monthly thing Oh, just have a, a monthly star party mm -hmm. yeah that'd be super that'd be super well guys i am very very happy that i had you guys on um i've kept you for an hour <laughs> uh, like i said this was very interesting i know that there's a lot of interest out in the community uh, with regards to astronomy obviously a lot of that is obviously because of you know what what's going on in the area with the aerospace industry but it this has definitely been a very interesting hour with regards to you know the images and what the society does and you know whatever we can do to help you guys uh push forward and promote this uh is something that uh, you've got me on board here you won't get a bigger nerd than I am when it comes to this stuff, you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Nerds yeah. unite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So, all righty, everybody. Yeah, yeah, you, you had, so, I just want to say you had some great questions. I don't know what I would have done if Richard wasn't here. <laughs> well, you know, I, no, like I told you, I, uh, you know, I read a lot about this stuff. And so for me, I was debating all day how many questions to throw at you guys and and like i said some of them maybe have been dumb questions or whatever but um i really uh enjoyed uh you know looking at these images asking the questions you know spurring interest out there in in astronomy and uh, like i said this won't be the last time that i have you guys come on you know but uh, everybody, um, I want to thank uh, both uh, Victor and Richard for spending uh, an hour with us looking at, uh, you know, these images and talking about astronomy. And, uh, uh, you know, we hope to have them back. Guys, I really appreciate you guys coming over. I actually made a special T-shirt for tonight, believe it or not. I uh, couldn't get it. But it's uh, it's called my well, 
It's my Space Jam t-shirt. Victor, I know you're a guitar player. So so, so is Richard, actually. Yeah. Ah! There's a thing with guitar players. and. Well, then what I'll do is Aliens. I'll, I'll, I'll send you uh, two of them. Just send oh, me your okay. address. Yeah, I'll send you two of them. So. All right. Yeah, thank, you. So. thank you. Thank you for everything. Not a problem, guys. I, I hope I didn't uh, ask too many questions. So, everybody, uh, I want to thank Richard and Victor. I want to thank everybody who popped in and commented, as well as the viewers out there that popped in online. Uh, I know a lot of our viewers uh, actually uh, view some of these videos throughout the week, so I appreciate uh, y'all uh, continuing to support this uh this channel and like i said um it was a cool evening tonight uh we don't have an episode next week yet there will be one we do have an episode the following week which is our big apple preview uh they're going to be releasing the iphone 14 for those rich guys uh so i hope you guys uh, tune in to that show we're going to have a lot of uh uh, product review and information with regards to that phone and anything that's released from Apple Park. So, alrighty, guys. Well, I hope you have a good evening. Everybody, take care, and we'll see you on the following episode. Bye-bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye.